It's about 20 years ago that I was sitting in a huge auditorium in a church in uh, Chicago called Willow Creek. I was at a conference called the Leadership Summit. It's uh, basically a place where not just Christian leaders, church leaders, but lots of leaders from uh, business and uh, lots of fields uh, gather and just come to learn. And uh, I was sitting there as as, uh, they announced the next speaker. His name was Jim Collins. He had just recently written a book uh, called Good to Great. Anybody read it? It's a great book. It's a uh, if you're involved in business, it's a, it's, a, it's a great primer for how you can take whatever you're doing in your life or even your business, if you happen to be the owner, and, and move it from just being good enough to being something that's great. There's certain principles uh, that Jim outlines there that are helpful in that process. But the book opens with this sentence. It says, good is the enemy of great. I remember hearing him say that and thinking, well, that's kind of profound. It's true that uh, if, if you kind of go through life saying, no, oh, good enough, anybody do that? Anybody look in the mirror this morning and just say, hey, good enough? I mean, it's bay life, right? I mean, come on. No one cares how I look there. Good enough. And it is good enough. You, you dress how you want. Um, but, but we have areas of our life where that's totally fine and suitable and, and understandable that we would say good enough. But there, but there certainly are some areas of our life where we shouldn't settle for good enough. And, and when we do settle for good enough, that attitude of good enough stands in the way of us being great or more successful in that particular area of life. Few things uh, hardly in our lives get this max effort. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, another writer, uh, wrote about five years ago now a book that's been disputed, uh, questioned, but it's a a book called Outliers. And in that book, uh, this guy Gladwell says, you know what, if you really want to be a virtuoso, if you want to be an expert in something, you know what it takes? Investment. You got to give time to the things that you want to be best at. Uh, he talked about Michael Jordan, which caught my attention as I was reading it. Uh, and, and Michael Jordan was relentless in his pursuit of basketball excellence. He talked about uh, a famous guitar player and how he would practice for hours and hours every day to be able to become the virtuoso that he was on his instrument. talked about a ballerina uh, who just constantly pirouetted and did whatever ballerinas do to to become the dancer that she became. And, and his, his, his uh, findings were based on a study that had been given that if, if you give 10,000 hours of your life to something, you, you'll get pretty good at it. And just so you can kind of put that in context, that's 90 minutes a day for 10 years straight. That's a lot of time. A lot of investment so that we can be great at something. I remember as a young kid uh, getting my first taste of this in my second grade class. Very few things from that time of my life that I remember, but I do remember that there was a placard, a card at the back of my uh, classroom that had my name on it, and next to it were all these stars. And these stars had been given to me by my teacher because uh, on, on a night before coming to class, I, I would write a, a story. Really stupid stories, by the way. Like, I like snow. Snow is white. Snow is cold. I like snow. That would be the story, right? But here's what she did at the beginning of the year. She was a genius. She knew she could tap into, you know, different people's uh, drives if she, oh, I forgot the offering. Hey, guys, would you take the offering? All right. Um, <laughs> see how much we care about money here? We don't even talk about it. Anyway, uh, sorry about that, everyone. Told you, live without a net. How's it going? I was sitting there in my second grade class, and my teacher said, hey, uh, <laughs> you know what? If, if you guys write a story every night and come in here and read it in front of the crowd, 
I'll give you a star by my name. And, and, and I love getting stars by my name. And so the first couple weeks, everybody was doing it. But after the first couple weeks, it was just me and this other girl. I think her name was Anne Marie or something like that. But, but we were almost in competition to see how many stars we could get by her name. Every morning I'd get in there. Maybe that's why I'm a preacher right now. Maybe Every morning I would get in there and I would stand in front of a class of 27-year-olds and I would read whatever I'd read. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. But I remember thinking, you know, if, I, if I'm going to be able to get the star by my name, if I'm going to be able to achieve and become a better writer, I, I got to put the time in. Oh, that we could have the same mindset when it comes to our lives with Jesus. Because if you're like me, and probably too many of you are, way too often you wake up to a day with Jesus and you say, you know what, I'm just going to give you the good enough. I'm going to give you the very least. I'm going to show up on the weekends to church. I'm going to uh, you know, serve in some fashion or some form. I'm going to uh, read the Bible with my wife and pray with my kids. And, and, and those will be great things. But if you want more than that, you, you save the wrong soul. Now, I just want to give you enough. I want you to be happy with my good. And, and while God loves us, we've been studying this whole last couple of weeks, that oftentimes our choices and our uh, actions towards him, uh, even as he continues to love us perfectly without fail, uh, our actions and choices can grieve him, can dishonor him. And, and where he wants our all, and we just give him some, uh, he... he sees that, and, and, and he judges that, and he, he says, that's, that's not what I require of you. I require more. I mean, we see it in the fourth chapter of our Bibles, these two kids, uh, Cain and Abel of Adam and Eve. Um, that, that story gets its most pull from the fact that uh, Cain eventually kills Abel. Anybody heard that story, right? Does everybody remember how it started? They were given sacrifices before their God. It's the first uh, instance of, of sacrificial worship to God there in Genesis chapter 4. And, and Abel comes, and, and he gives of, of, of the firstborns of his flock. He, he brings a, a blood sacrifice. He brings his very best is the implication. And God receives Abel's sacrifice. But Cain comes, and it just says there, it's so beautiful the way the, the, the writer wrote it. He, says, he just gave some fruit. Not special fruit, not best fruit, not the fruit of fruits. He had a banana in his pocket, and he threw it on a, an altar and said, there you go, Father, take that. Hope you like it. God didn't like it. And from that disappointment, uh, Cain blames Abel, not himself, and murder happens for the first time. But don't miss what it was caused by. It was caused by the fact that Abel brought his all. Cain didn't. Abel was blessed and approved of. Cain wasn't. See, uh, Jesus was very clear when he was start, starting to teach people about the kingdom of heaven, when he was explaining to them that it wasn't what they thought it was. It wasn't going to stay the way it had always been in the Jewish faith. It was going to transition to him being the ultimate sacrifice, to him being uh, the lamb who would be slain, to him being the one uh, that all of us who would be with God would look to. It's, uh, it's through him and faith in Jesus that we are saved. He, he was trying to explain this to people as he was uh, getting to know them and, and teaching them before his crucifixion. And, and in, in, in Matthew 13, in, in parable fashion, uh, he, he teaches these guys, listen, uh, kingdom life merits an all-in investment. 
The, the kingdom is so awesome, so amazing. Life with me, your king, is so incredible that the only logical thing that you and I can do is to go all in in this life that he's given us. He said it this way in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man finds and covers up. And then in his joy, he goes and he what? He goes on eBay. And he just starts listing his stuff. Hey, here's my house, here's my car, here's my tools, uh, here's my clothes, here's everything I own. Pay me what you will, and I'm going to take the proceeds of my eBay eBay, uh, sales, and I'm going to go get this property that is holding this treasure. There's other things to bring up there, but for the sake of time, can we all agree that the principle is, is that Jesus says, hey, my kingdom is of great worth. And it's worthy of your all in. The next parable, uh, our Mormon friend stole from us, but, uh, or reappropriated anyway. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in the search of uh, fine pearls, uh, who on finding one pearl of great value, uh, that merchant went and sold all that he had uh, owned, at, and he bought it. Same, same idea, right? Oh, I found it. Uh, but but I, like, I like the pearl one a little bit better because it describes all of humanity as merchants. We're all looking for this, this great pearl, this, this meaning of life, this thing that will, will um, define us and, and shape us and, and bring us fulfillment in life. And we look for it in all kinds of places, but when we finally find Jesus, we have found the answer to that question, what is this all about? And when you find Jesus, it's not just like, you know, what do I got here? I mean, great that, you know, you've given me the answer to life's questions, but, you know, how about 10 bucks? How about my very least in return for your very best? No, it only makes sense that we would go and give everything that we are and all that we have for this amazing kingdom life with Jesus. How much is your relationship with Christ worth to you? Some, not all. An occasional show up at church or hanging out with us online. Being mostly Christian, but not getting crazy about it. Hey, everybody settle down. We gotta live in this world, right? Let's not get too radical. Hmm. You know, uh, by how you live, you are revealing how much you value your God. by the choices you make, by the words you say. You're revealing the value that you impute to God and his kingdom. As I said, Jesus describes his kingdom as being worth our all. Uh, we should wake up each day seeking to be great in our king's eyes, not just good enough. We should consistently give all that we have, be willing as we did last week, to set aside the things that hold us back in our lives and seek instead his solutions and his purposes. We can't just talk a good game. We have to walk it. We, we can't just sit in church and nod like some of you are right now and be like, yeah, that's right, Mark, and then leave and not change. The Christian existence is not a nodding one. Oh, amen. You said it right there, Mark. Quit nodding at me. It's not enough. The nods need to become our confessions and our repentances and our changes 
so that we might bring God the glory that he deserves. I know that we can't do this on our own. I'm not preaching behavior modification, but I am preaching that Jesus is worth our all. What I want to talk to you about today is going from being a good Christ follower to a great Christ follower. And I want to answer this question. What goes into being a great Christ follower? Three things from the text that we're going to study this morning. The first one is this, is that great Christ followers glorify God by acting like him. Great Christ, I could just stop with the first part. Great Christ followers glorify God. Everybody agree with that? In all that they do and the things that they think, say, and, and act, they glorify God. But he qualifies it here, Paul does, for the Ephesians. Hey, here's how you glorify God. You act like him. It says in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5, therefore, and the therefore is always there for a reason. What's the point? Back to, it's pointing back to all those behaviors that if you were here last week and crossed our stage, I pray you got your cards and your in your dashboard or wherever you can see them and you're praying through those changes that God needs to make for you in your life and with you in your life. But all of those things, uh, uh, lying and anger and uh, uh, being a thief and, and, and exploiting people for your own benefit, uh, uh, being someone who speaks with unwholesome talk, being someone who is bitter and acts out in rage and malice, all of those things. I pray you're setting those aside and as Paul has taught us to put off the old life and put on the new, he says, therefore, what I'm trying to say, if I can sum up here, what I'm telling you is be an imitator of God. You ever do that with someone? You ever play that game where you, they, you know, they got to put their hands out like this and they just got to follow your hands, right? Simon says, who loves that game? Simon says, do this. Simon says, do that. Yeah, the youngers like it, don't they? I used to love that game. But if you don't put the Simon Says in front of the Simon Says, you're not supposed to do it, right? It's a whole game of copying, and you're out if you don't. Now, what, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, what Paul is saying to us is, hey, copy God. Imitate him. Act like the Father acts towards us. And Paul's basically just gone through that. Does, does God speak truth? Anybody? Okay, good. I agree. I totally agree. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Uh, is, is God righteous in his anger and not wrong? It, does God seek to be patient with us? Anybody notice that lately? Yeah. Uh, uh, is, is God working for us and our betterment? Yeah, he, he's not just out here, you know, trying to soak up. He's blessing us over and over again. He's, it, it, does God, when he speaks to us, speak truth and love and, 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 and lead us to righteousness? Yeah, he doesn't use unwholesome talk. Does God bear bitterness against us. No, he's righteous in his wrath. He's just when he punishes his children, but he's never doing it from emotion or uh, grudges. Yeah, he's, he's God. He's right. He's holy. And he acts in right, holy ways towards us. And all he's asking us to do is be like him. Peter told his followers, be holy as God is holy. Act like the one who defines and always does what is right. I play guitar a little bit. And uh, when I first started playing guitar, I went over to a friend's house uh, who was huge into heavy metal music, so his mom bought him an electric guitar and this beat-up old amp. And uh, so he would sit and listen to his records and just try to play the power chords. And if anybody knows how to play guitar, one of the first things you learn is that you can use this finger and this finger, and you can put it on two strings, and you can basically make a note. You can just slide it up and down the fretboard uh, and, and make notes with, with these two fingers. And so that's what he taught me, because that's all that he knew. He didn't know how to play guitar. He owned a guitar. Does anybody know that guy? 
And so I sat there uh, in my earlier years of guitar playing and just watched his fingers and, and learned how to play the power chords as, as he did. But then I actually got a guitar for my 21st birthday, and I took it back to the college I was going to, and, uh, and I realized that there was way more to guitar playing than, than this. Because I sat down uh, in, in, the, in the lounge area of our uh, dorm, and, and I, I had two great friends who were way better at guitar than my first friend. My one friend Brian would sit there, and he would learn Zeppelin songs. He learned Over the Hills and Far Away, which is a really hard... You know, and, and he would just do it until he had it down. And I just remember marveling, how'd you do that? How is, how is that possible? He said, well, you just practice. Watch me. And, he, and I would. I would sit there and I would watch his hands. And I still can't do it. But I would just watch his hands. And, that, and that's how I learned. And I said, well, listen, that's too hard. Teach me. the." And I would watch his hands. And then John, my, my other friend, he was a, uh, still is a professional banjo player in a bluesgrass band. And, uh, and I, didn't, I, would, I didn't care about banjo, but he, I mean, he could play any stringed instrument, and so he'd bring his guitar in. And I sat there, and people asked me, how do you learn how to play guitar? Did you ever take lessons? Not one. Never paid for one. I just sat in a room and watched people who knew do what they do. And that's how I learned to play guitar. Isn't God good to set an example for us that we can imitate? Isn't God good to send his son in fleshly form and to give us a record of his behaviors so that when we seek to be Christ's followers, we have Christ to pattern ourselves after. Paul even said, listen, you can follow me, but I'm going to follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I want to just touch briefly on this last phrase. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as what? As beloved children. Everybody uses that word, beloved, right? Is that what you call your spouse? Hey, beloved. Everybody knows what beloved means? It means loved one. The one that I love. If the first part of this is the what, be an imitator, the second part of this is the why. It's our motivation for imitating God. Why? Why should we imitate God? Well, because he's made us, adopted us, and brought us into his family. He's made us his sons and his daughters. And we should imitate him, not for the rewards that would come. A lot of times when I've heard preaching, that's been the emphasis. Hey, if you do what God says, you'll be blessed. I think that's true, but that's not our motivation. It's not for rewards that we align ourselves with the character of God. It's because of relationship. It's because he's loved us that we should seek to love him. We don't follow God's rules simply because we have to. We follow them as an act of love towards him. And he's our father. Josh McDowell used to uh, write books for youth pastors to be able to help families uh, in, in parent-teenager relationships. And, and he would often talk about how rules without relationship lead to rebellion. You find that to be true? You don't have to raise your hand, but has anybody ever sped on our highways? Anybody ever sped? Some of, you, some of you are thinking, yes, I did. Okay. I told you you didn't have to raise your hand. You, want, you know why you speed? You're going to hurry. I know. Okay. Here's the other reason why you speed. Uh, you're not friends with the state troopers that will pull you over. In fact, they're the enemy, right? And you're looking for them. So that you know when to slow down. You're not following the rules because you care about them. Or excuse me, you wouldn't follow the rules because you care about them. You don't know them. My point is this. Uh, anybody ever been in that parent-child relationships where uh, a, a child is acting out? Maybe you're watching this happen and the, and the parent just has to look at them 
Anybody ever seen this? There's no words exchanged. There's just the look, the hairy eyeball, right? And with the hairy eyeball, the kid goes, oh, no. Maybe I'm, I'm in trouble later. <laughs> That's one of the motivations. But if they, if they know, I, I, all three of my children, they were more devastated by the fact that they hurt the heart of their father or their mother than they were over the fact that they crossed a line that they weren't supposed to cross. Are you with me? And so that's why it's so great that God doesn't just kind of coldly throw down a bunch of laws and say, here, follow these, and I'll see you at the end. He says, no, I'm going to relate to you, be in life with you. I love you, and I want you to obey me, not because you have to, but because you love me too. And you want to honor me with your life. In essence, what Paul's saying is that all of us spiritually should seek to be a chip off the old block. When I was growing up in, in uh, the, my angry Baptist churches, uh, the older ladies in, uh, in the church would come up to me and they'd say, you look just like your dad. Have you ever been told that? You look just like your dad. The older you get, the more you look like him. I don't see it. But that's what they would say. Some of them didn't even bother to learn my name. They just called me my dad's name, Paul. Paul, you look just like Paul. I'm like, first of all, you're crazy. And uh, <laughs> my name's Mark. Uh, but that's the goal of the Christ life, is to look like our Father, to emulate him, to honor him. Secondly, great Christ followers walk in sacrificial love. Great Christ, follower, great Christ followers certainly uh, seek to glorify God by acting like him, but Paul goes on and he says, listen, if you're going to be a great Christ follower, walk in sacrificial love. Verse 2 says this, and walk in love. Imitate God and walk in love. How? As Christ loved us. Well, what was that? Well, he gave himself up for us. And that sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, we usually go to the cross, right? When we think sacrifice, we go to the cross. Absolutely, that is the chief sacrifice. But don't forget, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He sacrificed over and, like daily, he woke up to people that he created who were maligning him and testing him and seeking to kill him. And over and over again, he put aside his agendas, his needs, and he sought to glorify his Father and serve humanity, right? Isn't that our priority list? God, others, and then me? Yeah, if you want to be a, a great Christ follower and not just, eh, good enough, then you grow in sacrificial love. Good Christians love Jesus? Absolutely. Great Christians love like Jesus. Huge difference. Uh, he says, uh, give yourself up, walk in love, just as Christ did, as he gave himself up. It'll be a fragrant offering. What a great line. It's used all over, not tons of times in the, Old, in the New Testament, but it's used a bunch. It's this, this picture of, like it brings in the smell sense. You usually think of the smell sense. But the smell sense is a powerful thing. Anybody ever been around a bad smell? Where do you try to put yourself? Out of range, right? Or you roll down the window, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, Sorry. That would have been said on Saturday night, and you never would have heard it. <laughs> I can't help it. you got to know, I filter so much out, you guys. I filter so much out, and every once in a while, yeah, if something stinks, you get away from it. But if something is fragrant, if something, uh, like, like I used to walk into my parents' house when my mom would be making brown bread. My mom is a class A baker. Like she can, she, you know, and she's a good cook too, but 
Uh, I didn't get to looking like this without my mom knowing a little bit of her, you know, of her way around the kitchen. And she would, she would bake, and she still does this when she comes. She'll bake brown bread, this like, it's porridge bread. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like unicorn tears and elf dander. And <laughs> I mean, it just all goes in the pot. And it's just this magical feast. And the smell, have you ever been in a house that is filled with the aroma of your favorite food? It's almost uncontrollable. That's why, like, husbands have, like, uh, you know, scars on their knuckles, right? Because they smell it, and then they want to eat it. And even though their wives are saying, that's for dinner, and smacking them, you know, quit eating that stuff. They're like, I can't help it, blah, 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 right? And how does it start? It's not with these. It's not with these. It's with this. Did you know that you can either stink before God or you can be a fragrant offering before God just in how you love? If you love only for yourself and only for what it brings you, that stinks. You're a, you're a roll-down-the-window Christian. <laughs> but if you love as Christ loved, he can't get enough of you. He goes on and he says, uh, it's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. I don't have time to pull all this out, but man, the, the sacrifice system is the, the whole Old Testament. And there was, uh, in the Old Testament, suitable sacrifices that you would bring to the temple and you would make before God. And there was unsuitable sacrifices that he would reject. And we don't do that anymore. Is anybody grateful that you didn't have to bring a goat this morning? Anybody grateful? <laughs> but we still make worship offerings to our God. You know how we do that? with our choices, with our behaviors, with our attitudes, with our, with our very lives. We make sacrifices to our God. And he says, you know what a, a pleasing and fragrant sacrifice to me is? Selfless love. Finally, great Christ followers choose gratitude over greed. Here we go. We choose gratitude over greed. He says, but, as he's talked about self-sacrifice, he wants to clarify that the opposite of self-sacrifice, as we're going to see here, self-indulgence, feeding self, and self's appetites, that's just not a part of being a great Christian. He says, but sexual immorality, that's the Greek word porneia, pornography, any illicit use of what God created to be between a husband and a wife. Sexual immorality, and, and if that wasn't enough, he says, let me throw one more, one more word in there, akatharsia, uh, any impurity. That's a big blanket. So if you're going to say, well, yeah, you know, I don't look at porn, but uh, I harbor uh, fantasies in my head. Jesus covered that. Remember that? I say to you, uh, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at another woman with lust in your eyes, it's as if you have committed, right? Is everybody with me? Okay, so, so Paul's saying, listen, I know you're going to try to wiggle out of this one, so no, no pornea, and then anything you, that you would say, well, that's not in pornea, any impurity. And not just any, uh, you know, sexual immorality or any impurity, but any covetousness. Does anybody's translation to say greed? In the context, he's saying, listen, anytime you desire someone who is not yours for physical pleasure, you have adopted a different method of life. Uh, it, it, these things should not even be named among you. There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. There shouldn't even be a hint of impurity. There shouldn't even be a, a, a sign or a flicker of us desiring 
And he says this in the context of sacrifice. He says, listen, you are created by me to worship me. And when you pull away from worshiping me and start worshiping other things and people and appetites and desires, you're not only you know, throwing yourself into the darkness that is your sin, you are refusing to do what I created you to do, which is to worship and glorify me. And that's why this side of ourselves has to be brought under the Holy Spirit's control. I don't need to quote you all the statistics that it's tens of billions of dollars, the porn industry now, that you are all one click away from illicit sexual material. You could be viewing it right now. Please don't. But, but we are, uh, as a society, completely given over to the passions of our heart, to the appetites of our groinal regions. <laughs> and it's just not what God has created us to do. He, he, Paul talks about it in the book that he wrote to Romans, uh, to the Romans, uh, Romans chapter one. He says, claiming to be wise, we, humanity, became fools. Uh, excuse me, that's the next verse. For although they knew God, we as humans knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They stopped worshiping him. Uh, but they became futile in their thinking. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says, uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the worship of the immortal God, for the worship of images resembling God. Excuse me, resembling man. And birds and animals and creepy things. Those are the literal idols. But he says, listen, all he's saying is basically, look, you were created to glorify God and worship God. And, and when we got too smart for ourselves and became dumb... <laughs> We decided we're not going to worship God anymore. We're going to worship his stuff. We're going to worship what he created. And so that might be a tiki on your table, uh, but it could also be a person that you desire in a sexual sense. Therefore, he says, verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. It's so interesting to me that the very first thing that he does after talking about idolatry is go to the physical. He says they gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. <laughs> Paul says here in 5 verse 3 that it shouldn't be even a hint. It shouldn't be named among you, spoken about. We need to be careful with this stuff. We need to be like Joseph in the, in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 39 He's hanging out in his boss's house. Potiphar's wife is, uh, is on him. He, she digs him, and uh, she's used to having what she wants, and so she wants to physically please herself with her slave Joseph. And, and Joseph's like, no, why would, I, why would I first of all dishonor the boss who has given me the run of the place? And then he says this, and how could I possibly dishonor God with the body that he gave me to honor him with? Those are my few added words there, but that's essentially what he says. How could I not... Worship God in this area of my life. We've got to be even careful with uh, gateway <laughs> uh, portions of our life that could lead to this kind of sexual immorality and stuff. We've got to be careful with our words. Look what it says here. It says, let there be no filthiness, uh, verse 4, nor foolish talk, uh, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Uh, filthiness is a, is a Greek word that means uh, perverse or, or lurid words. It, it includes cussing and and perverted speech, um, uh, foolish talk. I love this word. It's a Greek word, moro logia. It means moron words. 
Isn't that great? And if I had more time, I would just I would play here, because um, our society is is becoming incrementally stupider. Does anybody agree with me on this? And it's because our airwaves and media outlets and internets internets there's only one. It's all full of stupid talk, empty words, dumb stuff. And, and what God's saying here, certainly he's, he's trafficking in the, in the world of the, the physical and the, and the sensual, but he's, he's even expanding it, saying, listen, just be careful with what you say. And here's why. Uh, let no filthiness, let no foolish talk, let no crude joking, no sexual innuendos. No, that's what she says. Don't let those be a part of your life. Why? Because when those are a part of your life, they open the door to the greater things, the, the harsher things, the worst things that could take control of your life. Remember we talk, talked a couple weeks ago about uh, out of the heart, the mouth speaks? If you're given airtime in your life to the lurid, to the sensual, even if it's in good fun, then you're opening the door to the lurid and sensual having root in your life. And what did he say? Don't, don't even let there be a hint. Don't even name these things among you. These things are out of place for those who call on Christ, but instead let there be what? Thanksgiving. What a strange thing to say in a run of verses that are talking about don't talk dirty. That sound weird. What? Instead of like talking dirty, you want me to like be like at the Thanksgiving table and go around and say what I'm thankful about? What? No, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when we turn ourselves over into the greed of our lusts and our desires, we are ceasing to worship the God who deserves our gratitude. We are ceasing to focus on God and who he is and instead of put the focus on our appetites and what we want. And that's why Paul in his letter to the Philippians says this. He says, hey, you guys, finally, whatever's true and honorable and just and pure, whatever's lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. God's serious about this stuff. I'll close with this. Uh, verse 5 in Ephesians says this, uh, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, and this is it, he goes worship again. That is what? An idolater. Someone who makes an idol of the things that God created instead of the creator. He says, those people have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Some are like, oh no. I've had lust in my heart. I've, I, I've sought to, to please myself sensually. I'm out. That kicked me out of the kingdom. Can I, let, me, let me share with you some good news. When Jesus died on the cross and we put our faith in Jesus, he forgave every sin that we've ever committed and he placed us in the family of God and we are with him and can't be taken from him. Someone say amen. Isn't that good news? That is some good news. And some of you say, well, great, then I can go and do all these things and I still get to go to heaven. And Paul says in Romans, no, you don't sin all the more because grace has been given to you. You live a life of gratitude for the grace that's been given to you, and you seek to imitate your Father. You seek to glorify him as you walk like Christ in life. You seek to sacrifice in love. You seek to run like Joseph from all the things that would pull you away from the worship of your God because God is worth our all.
And I am learning this anew. You're, <laughs> the guy who yells at you on Sundays is learning anew that enough, my good enough, is not enough. I can't hide behind my job title and think I'm probably a better Christian than most people. I'm a pastor. I have to in my life, and you have to in your lives, determine, all right, God, is your kingdom really worth my all? It is. In what areas of my life are you not getting my all? Some of you, it's in the stuff that we talked about this morning. You were viewing pornographic stuff last night. And it's time. Not because it, it destroys your family, it does. Not because it's an addictive thing, just like any drug it is. But because you have displaced your worship from the one who is worth your all. That's why you set aside these things. It's because Jesus is worth it. We stand, we're going to pray and just be dismissed. We usually sing at the end. We're just going to let Darnisha play beautifully. But we're just going to be quiet. And I laid down the things that Paul laid down for the church in Ephesus for you today. I just want you to ask, God, how can I imitate you better? How can I walk more sacrificially in my love? What needs to go? What am I greedy for in life that isn't you? Replace it with my gratitude for you, God. You just have a time of prayer and ask him what he needs of you today. I stand before these, your creatives. You love them. Uh, they are your, many of them, most of them, I'm guessing, are your beloved children. They've put their faith in you. Uh, they've sought to honor you with huge chunks of their lives, but maybe, uh, like the guy speaking right now, they haven't gone all in. And, uh, and as we stand here, God, before you, uh, it is my passion for my life. I pray it's their passion for their lives that we would be great Christ followers, not just good, that's good enough. But we'd seek to go further in this life with you. So help us to imitate you. Help us to walk in sacrificial love. But God, if there be any wicked way in us, if there's anything, whether it's sensual or uh, prideful, or if there's anything in us, God, that would keep us from thinking about what's pure and right and lovely and commendable and honorable and keep us from worshiping you the way we're supposed to, God, would you identify that in us and by your spirit, would you renew our minds and replace those things with yourself. And lead us to freedom if we're trapped. Lead us um, uh, to honor if we've been in dishonor. Grant us, God, uh, yourself. Help us to love you, to live like you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. And everybody said, amen. God bless you as you go. Love you.